Welcome to Teach Em Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. I'm Nick Williams. Today, we are talking to Rosa Herrera, physics and chemistry teacher at San Marin High School, uh, about the seed and soil uh, model of education and cancer metastases. Rosa, what's good? Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Um, lots of things are good. Summertime. Summertime so, is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I've been gardening a lot. Um, that's been really good. Awesome. Um, what I've are you been reading a lot more. I am growing corn and squash. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, it's my, my very, very first time growing anything <laughs> um, since moving out of my parents' place, I guess. That's awesome. And yeah. uh, what are you reading? Um, I am still reading Of Mice and Men. Ooh. Yeah, I never read it in high school, and uh, I decided to, to start it. Because I, f- I figure it's it's a classic for a reason, right? Yeah, I have yeah, never read I, Mice or Men either. I know that oh, all okay. of our students do, and I think yeah. I wrote my junior research project about John Steinbeck, but somehow oh, okay. I missed Thanks. like the classic. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I read. I feel like a few from John Steinbeck. My favorite is East of Eden, but then I just like never, never read any any others, or I guess the the important one. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, So today we are talking a little bit about the seed and soil model of education, um, Mm -hmm. looking at nature versus nurture for students and the system of education. Um, But first, uh, who are you? Why why did you start teaching? What what was your pathway into education? And why are you still doing it? Um, So I am Rosa. (laughs) Oh, hi, Rosa. Yay. Uh, and I started teaching because I was, well, I guess I, I was always teaching, I I guess in in some way. Um, I was always a tutor, I guess. Um, in high school, I was a um, chemistry tutor and in college, I started tutoring as well. Um, organic chemistry and then biochemistry. Um, so I really just liked tutoring. I guess you can say. And then um, after college, I became like a nutrition consultant teacher e thing for um, the homeless population in um, Santa Rosa. And um, I just really liked it. And then we had an opportunity to get into the high schools um, and taught a little bit in the PE department in um, just like the area in I guess in the high schools in our area. So like Piner High, Santa Rosa High. And I really liked um, being with the high schoolers and um, joking around with them. I think um, they're just a really fun group. Um, I, um, I don't know, I guess I, I just really enjoyed teaching nutrition in like my time at Catholic Charities when I was, um, I guess when that's what I was doing. And so I decided to go back and um, get my master's in education. Yeah, but I, I guess I, before that, I was working towards um, like studying for the MCAT and getting into um, that realm of science. But then uh-huh. the classic, um, uh, maybe yeah. <laughs> going to be a doctor because I studied yeah, biology. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I just totally realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Or um, I don't know. I just, I really liked the teaching, and so I decided to try that instead, and I'm glad I did, because um, it's been a lot of fun, um, and I'm learning a lot, so 
um, yeah. Awesome. Here, here we are. Here we are. Um, <laughs> and you've now been teaching for uh, two years at San Marin yes. High School, correct? Yes. Two awesome. years at San Marin High School. Nice. Yes, hopefully my third coming up soon. Boom. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully all of ours next year coming up soon. Yes, fingers uh, the, crossed. That, that is looking more and more uncertain recently, I think. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, let's start by talking a little bit about this seed and soil model. So um, I stole this from an article that I read in The New Yorker. Uh, yes. It was called Cancer's Invasion Equation by Siddhartha Mukherjee. And... Um, Basically, it's a medical model. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it comes from this idea of cancer metastases, mm -hmm. um, which is cancer spreading throughout the body. Mm -hmm. And the seed and soil model, the, the term seed and soil, was first proposed by this uh, English doctor 130 years ago, um, mm -hmm. Stephen Paget, in mm -hmm. 1889. Right. Um, and basically, it was the idea that uh, cancer does not spread linearly cancer mm -hmm. spreads kind of all over the place and seemingly pretty randomly. Right. So in order for that to happen, when cancer spreads, it's called meta metastases. Mm -hmm. um, and in order for that to happen, you figure there has to be something specific about the cancer cell itself being spread around the body. Mm -hmm. And then there also has to be something specific about where the cancer cell lands. Um, and so that's kind of where, just as a background piece, that's where like the, the levels of cancer come from or the stages okay. of cancer. Like stage mm -hmm. one means cancer is pretty small and it's just in one single location. Mm -hmm. It hasn't spread anywhere. And it goes up to stage four, uh, which is like cancer is everywhere. It is spread all over the place, multiple organs, multiple organ systems, and it does not look like it's going to be able to be cut out or uh, remedied. Okay. Um, so... The, the seed and soil idea is that both pieces are really important. Um, there's something innate about the cell itself, like mm -hmm. the cell that gets traveling through your bloodstream and eventually finds a kidney. Um, mm -hmm. Can the cancer spread there? Um, and in some people, it does. And in other people, it doesn't. And it mm -hmm. seems like there's something about the cell itself for mm -hmm. starting a new cancer colony um, and then there's also something about the person's body chemistry or genetics as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they even have done cases where somebody had melanoma, uh, skin cancer. Right. Um, they cut it out. The person was clean of cancer for like 10 years, eventually donated a kidney. Um, and the person that they put the kidney into immediately developed like 100 different spots of cancer, melanoma on the kidney. Right, so yeah. clearly the cancer was there the whole time, but not expressing in any way, shape, or form mm -hmm. until it was in a different environment. Uh, and then in somebody else's body, the cancer all of a sudden shows up. Right. So um, this seed and soil model is also used in ecology, uh, mm -hmm. in something like invasive species, mm -hmm. where in order for an invasive species to be really invasive, it needs both something about itself and something about the environment that it falls into. Right. Almost like the fitness component of evolution. Um, mm -hmm. Like how well does the species fit the environment? Right. Um, and it's something that's kind of tricky because I think especially in the US, we mm -hmm. tend to think a lot more individually. 
um, like either the species is good or the species right. is not good. Mm -hmm. And um, either oh, it must be a really strong species if it's able to take mm -hmm. over a whole lake. Um, right. like an, invasive, <laughs> an invasive species is just like super fit. Yes. <laughs> um, but really, when you're talking about evolution, when you're talking about fitness, you're talking about how well does it match the environment mm -hmm. that it's in. Mm -hmm. An invasive species can be dropped off in lakes throughout the world, mm -hmm. um, and it might only become invasive in one lake in one location. Right. Because the salinity is perfect, the temperature is perfect, the pH of the water is perfect. It just it doesn't mm -hmm. have any predators. Um, right. It's just the perfect situation for this one, let's say, mussel species to right. go wild. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the idea of a seed mm -hmm. and soil model. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading, one of the things that was kind of uh, popping off to me was that this feels really, really relevant to education right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, because when we think about education, I think uh, we can think about the seed, which in this mm -hmm. case would be the student. Right. And then we can also think about the soil, which would be like the system of education. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, as I think a lot of us have been examining um, systems generally and mm -hmm. looking at social injustice. Uh, yes through like the Black Lives Matter movement and mm -hmm. um, starting with police violence and criminal justice, injustice, right. and then looking at all of our systems and recognizing mm -hmm. that there is um, inequity and injustice mm -hmm. in structural racism in all of our systems. Right. Um, I just kind of thought it would be a, a nice jumping off point looking at which parts of education Mm -hmm. are really seed, which parts are the student itself, and right. which parts are uh, the soil, the whole system of education. Okay. Um, which is a big, huge topic. Yes. <laughs> um, so let's, yes. let's take it piece by piece. Okay. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could like start by just kind of running us through, through your own growing up mm -hmm. experience. Okay. Because yeah. originally, mm -hmm. I was going to have you on and we were going to chat about um, teaching students who are like you, but not okay. exactly like you. Okay. I think okay. A lot of, a lot of your students <laughs> yeah. are similar to you in some ways. Yes. And then not similar to you in others. And yes. Yes. Um, and I think that you might be a really good case study for looking at both the seed and soil components. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, in sure. terms of like your own academic history. So if, if you're willing to talk a little okay. bit about like, yeah. how, how did you grow up? How did you interact with education? For sure. Yeah. Um, so my education actually started here in the U.S., I guess. Um, I attended kindergarten here. Um, and then in, I think, 2000, 2001, uh, my parents decided that... Ooh, you're so young. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, my parents decided that they wanted to move back to Mexico um, for an indefinite amount of time. I guess they didn't really know how long they wanted to move back. Um, so we were back there for a couple years, um, and I came back here in third grade. Um, and I just remember that I remembered faces, and I remembered some friends that I had in kindergarten, um, but I didn't, like, I didn't know any, anything. Like, I didn't remember any language that I had acquired or um, anything that, or th I guess anything that I had learned in terms of English, I had just forgotten. 
So um, you, you grew up even in the U.S. speaking Spanish yes. at home. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and all my siblings, too. Like, I have two younger siblings who didn't know really any English until, like, kindergarten. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we all grew up that way. Um, and um, I came back, and it was beginning of third grade, I feel like. Um, we came back right when the school year started, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I just remember faces. I don't remember any, anything else. Um, and my transition into back to school was not that hard because, um, I guess the systems in place were, I guess the priority was for me to learn English. And, um, for me, it was really great that, um, in Mexico, I was really good at language in general. and. Um, like I was good at reading and writing in Spanish. And um, I think that made the learning of another language a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I know that like my cousins who came back with us at the same time didn't have the same um, luck that I did. Um, they struggled a little bit more with learning the, like learning English and, um, and so on. And I, I don't know, I guess I was very lucky that I, was good at Spanish, I guess, I guess you can say. Um, were, were your cousins in the same schools that you yes. were? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of me like helping them at home when we got home and did homework. And um, we had a lot of like English packets that we had to do together. Um, I also remember not learning any math the first, uh, I don't even, I don't remember the first few years, I guess, that we were, that we were here, at least third and fourth grade. I didn't get a lot of math. I would get like packets home for homework, but I wouldn't like, I don't remember learning it in the classroom. Huh. Um, I think they just kind of like skipped through that subject for me. Um, so I was very lucky that I was very high in math before, I guess, coming here. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would have been really behind um, in terms of math. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I just remember third and fourth grade, it was learning English. Um, we didn't have any like, aids in the classroom it was like a time where they would take us outside for like two three hours and then we'd come back to the classroom so but you had like an eld pullout yes yeah okay. it was yeah it was like it was like that um but you weren't was, you weren't in like a dual immersion classroom or mm -mm, it was just like no. a english english only classroom yes and yeah, just english only classroom. Stan standard california third yes. grade class yes yes okay. i remember uh, memorizing the pledge of allegiance okay um and like nailing it i didn't know what i was saying <laughs> i did it <laughs> yeah i was very proud um there was um like my peers would translate the ones that were like latino but didn't know stuff I, I don't know they were i guess the closest that could be bilingual and um, so they would be the ones translating for me um we used to have a system where they did like hot and cold lunch and mm -hmm. the teacher would say like if you are having hot lunch today, stand up. And if you're having cold lunch, sit down. And I, I don't know why, but I very vividly remember like not understanding the concept, even though like it was translated to me, like they told me what it was. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like in my mind, I still had this like hot lunch meant like the, the food was hot. And sometimes my mom, my mom would pack me like a soup in uh -huh. a thermos, like a lentil soup or something. And that was my hot food day. And I would stand up because I had hot food that day. Um, and then sometimes I would have like 
cold lunch and my lunch was like a salad or something. Um, and then I was always stumped when it was like not hot or cold. And I asked <laughs> like, well, like my lunch today is just like a sandwich. Like it's like regular temperature. I've got like um, medium lunch. Medium. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I remember that very vividly because my, like my peers would look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you have cold lunch. No, I don't. Um, well, yeah. And, and I think that's a great example of like the system mm-hmm. being a stumbling block. Yes. Um, <laughs> because like hot and cold lunch are really yes. weird descriptors. Yes. <laughs> um, and it, it wasn't a language issue for you, right? Mm-hmm. You know no, the yeah. word hot, you know the yeah. word cold, you were mm-hmm. applying both words 100% correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, we do a lot of stuff that I think for that teacher probably yes. made perfect, obvious yes. sense, mm-hmm. right? Like hot yeah. lunch is the one that the school provides and the mm-hmm. kids are purchasing or whatever. And yes. cold lunch is what you brought from home Yes, because <laughs> you didn't put it in the oven and heat it up here at right. school. Right, right, right and, right. and I think that's where like the system, we take so much for granted mm-hmm. as teachers. <laughs> Right, right. Um, especially, you know, many of us have lived an awful lot of our life within the school mm. system. Mm, yeah. um, and so stuff seems super obvious and logical mm. right. um, for like, this is how it's done. Right. Uh, but it's not obvious and logical for kids coming into it or even parents mm. um, who don't live in it. Like people feel like they remember school really, really clearly. Right. And then right. elements of it, I'm sure we all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also parts that we really don't remember very well or school has right. changed. Right. Um, and so those are little, you know, system type details. Right. That yeah. can, can be a stumbling blocks. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just, I remember that um, conversation with my teacher. Um, and it was like, no, you never get hot lunch. I'm like, Yes, I do. <laughs> I do get hot lunch. But uh, no, I never purchased lunch at school. So um, even if they were having something cold at school, like, I, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like I learned the language really quickly because I definitely remember conversations in like fifth grade with my teachers. And um, like, I remember like doing presentations and like the state, um, I think in fifth grade, it's the state where you like do a project on a st- or you research a state and then you like present about it. Yep. Um, I remember yep. doing that. The, Cal- the California classics are like fourth grade, you do a mission project. The missions, yes. And then okay. fifth grade, there's some kind of state report. Okay. So I, I remember building the missions in fourth grade. I don't remember why or the research behind it. But I don't know. None if of us remember why. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know if that's much of a language as it was a. I just didn't know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was my, I guess, elementary school um, up until I learned the language. Um, then it was, I, I think, just like a typical <laughs> um, going through the system. Um, I went to a charter middle school. Okay. Um, so it was a, a little different um, from my high school or from my elementary school experience because my elementary school experience there was a lot of Latinos, mm-hmm. um, and then my parents bought a house and we moved, um, and the area that we moved to was um, like divided into sections, and we just happened to live closer to 
like a section that was that like belonged to another I don't I don't even know what happened but Some, somehow I you just, got districted into the white district yes yeah. yeah somehow we ended up with just a bunch of um uh I guess students that did not look like me uh-huh. <laughs> uh yeah to put it that way uh so in my classrooms um well the the charter school itself was really tiny um we graduated with a class of 30 um, so the, yeah, it was a school of like 60 um, and it was a pilot charter school. So it was okay. really tiny. Um, and they had different sections. They had like algebra, um, math, then they had like the intermediate and then they had a, like, a support math, I think they called it. So it's like okay. support intermediate and then algebra, those taking algebra. Um, so three cohorts. And we stuck together the whole two years of middle school. Wow, yeah, so was, that is super tracked. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very intense. <laughs> um, and with only and thirty it, of you, is that like a cohort of ten? Yeah. Um, it was a cohort of fifteen of us. Okay. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah, it was. It was really tiny, and um, the one teacher that we had, like, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Or I think she was really good. Um, but it was a really small class size. Um, and and I was that. like, I was the only Latina in my classroom, like the only one. Okay. And which, um, which of those, which of those tracks were you in? I was in algebra. Um, yeah. yeah. Group. Um, they like had us take a test or whatever before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, a uh, it was fun. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Um, you got really close to the cohort that you were a part of. Um, but it, it was, a really bizarre um yeah I don't know I was yeah, I was the only Latina in that and I think that felt really weird coming from a place where there was other Latinos uh-huh. and and so on but um okay and then you went to a yeah. comprehensive high school yes and then I went to a very very diverse high school <laughs> okay uh very very diverse uh, more so than my elementary school was um or I guess I thought it was very diverse maybe maybe it isn't in number sense now of Piner High. I feel okay. like it's like kind of there. Piner um, High in Santa Rosa. Yes, in Santa Rosa. Um, and I went to high school with, um, it was my first time like seeing lockers and it was my first time um, periods and passing periods and- Cause middle um, school, you were like a self-contained classroom. Yeah, and we had yeah. no lockers, and we had, we were essentially an elementary school, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where, like, our teacher only changed, like, it was my math teacher, and then my English teacher, yeah. and that was it, um, and I came into a system where we had to, like, go to different classes, and visit a counselor, and um, I couldn't ask my parents, because they had no idea, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I have six classes, mom. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I mean. Um, so it was a scary time. And um, I just remember, like, it, it was a lot of me asking my friends and kind of feeling a little embarrassed. Like, I really don't know what this means, but how, what is orientation and why? <laughs> um, but luckily... It was, it was not as bad as I like made it out to be in my head, I guess. 
Um, nice. And at that and point, then, yeah. were your friends people that you had gone to middle school with? Were they people that you had grown up with and gone to elementary school with? It was mostly middle school. Yeah, okay. I, didn't, I didn't see most of my elementary school friends after we moved. Because um, then they belonged to a different high school altogether. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but then I like made new friends in, in high school. And I think I got the hang of it really quickly, but it was scary at first. Yeah. I remember um, not knowing like how to ask for help and not knowing who like my principal was. And um, even though like I was comfortable with the language already, it just felt like (laughs) I was relearning things. I don't know. It it felt weird. Yeah. And then, um, okay. So high school was confusing. (laughs) Yes. And then post high school. Yes. And then post high school was also confusing. Oh my gosh. It was like <laughs> in the dark always. No, I'm kidding. Um, post high school, I, or I guess senior year, um, I was told by my counselors that um, the JC was like a good place to start. And I had already started taking a few JC classes my junior year because everyone else was taking JC classes. And I kind of wanted to try it out. Um, I had a really terrible history teacher. Mm-hmm. And so the hype in the high school was um, like history here sucks. So take it at the JC. Um, and that's what we did. And so I guess beginning of um, senior year, the push was to like enroll at the JC. Um, and then um, it wasn't until like my friends started like taking the SATs that I was like, what are you doing? Like, what is that? Um, I know I took the, everyone took the PSATs junior year, but we didn't, like, I didn't know what it was and mm-hmm. I didn't read and I didn't bother reading about it. Um, and then I just remember like an SAT de- like time coming along and then my friends telling me like, you should sign up and you should take it. And so I signed up and I took the SAT and I didn't prepare and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then I think that's the month where I started to get scared. Like, oh shoot, am I not going to be able to go to college? Um, because in my mind, college was the, the JC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got like my SAT results back. And um, they, like my counselors came in and sat me down and they're like, you need to apply to like other colleges. And you have like a few months left because the deadline is November 30th. And I was like, that's my birthday. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's coming up way too soon. Um, so then I just remember like all of November um, doing applications for colleges and not knowing anything about them. And just like, to clarify, I remember, they, were, they were now encouraging you because your SAT results were really good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they were really good or if they were just good for my subgroup. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, cause I don't, I don't think they were that good. Like, honestly, I think they were like 1950, maybe back in the okay. day, like out of 21 out or of 20, 20, 22. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh-huh. I was like something high. Um, but I had good, I had a good GPA uh-huh. and I think that's when they were like, like what colleges are you thinking of applying to? And, um, I don't know. Yeah. So that, that is how that happened. Like, I remember going to college, like visits, like, UC Davis, and I remember visiting campuses, but I remember that those usually were, tar- or I guess the way they promoted promoted them was 
through the JC, you can like be here for two years and then transfer over. And so that's always how our field trips went was um, how, everyone goes to the JC and then they transfer over. And how did that, uh, like, how did you get on that field trip? Um, through friends. Yeah. Um, I it had was, friends who were in programs or like, um, I think one of them was through like a teacher I had in like my chemistry teacher invited me to a meet to one of them. I was like, sure. And it was just like an class. open, an open school sponsored college visit. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I think, um, if like a teacher invited you, then you could get a permission slip. Okay. And then, yeah. And honestly, like most of the time I would just, I would just want to go cause I wanted to like, yeah, it's go, a field trip. go out for a day. Yeah. Yeah. Field trip for a day. Who, who yeah. doesn't want to go on a field trip? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. So that's, how I ended up going to college, I guess. It, okay. it seems like all over the place, but I didn't yeah. really have a, a rhyme or reason behind you fill, how fill I was that an application because somebody mm -hmm. told you to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. and, and then... I filled out four because they okay. were free. Good. I got four for free, so uh -huh. I did that. And California. California has a system if you're low mm -hmm. or your family's low income, then you get four free applications, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Yes. For CSUs and UCs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then uh, as, as we were applying for them, then it was like, if you're in the top 10%, you automatically get into a few UCs. And so I did it. And so I'm glad I did it because I would have found out that I qualified for the 10% after the fact that the applications were due. So uh -huh. I'm glad that like, I kind of woke up and was like, whoa, I like, no one's going to tell me what to do. And I need to start researching because my parents don't know. <laughs> right. Um, and like, I, I don't have any siblings or cousins that are older than me that have gone through it that know how to do it. Um, so I'm glad that I kind of like, took a step back and, and started, like, I don't know, researching on my own. And yeah. learning and about then, colleges. <laughs> and just to clarify, where'd you end up going to school? Um, so I went to UC Berkeley. Yeah. Awesome. Fun. And what did what did you major in UC Berkeley? Um, I started off with a just environmental biology um major, or I started off with environmental biology, and then I really liked chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to change it to biochem. Uh, and then I minored in toxicology. Um, a lot of like chem and bio. Yeah. So yeah. biochem with a, a minor in toxicology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Nutritional toxicology. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And okay. so after college, nutritional toxicology is what I kind of focused on. Nice. Um, or like, that's how I got my job as a, like a nutrition coordinator. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So it feels like when you talk through that story, mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of places where the system kind of worked for you. Yes. And there are a lot of places where the system didn't work for you. Right. <laughs> um, and to be perfect, I mean, on the one hand, mm -hmm. the system kind of worked perfectly. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, UC Berkeley is probably the toughest university to get into in the California mm -hmm. public university system. Mm -hmm. um, like of the UCs, uh, it's, it's a nationally renowned university. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you weren't trying to game the system in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you didn't even know what the system was. No. <laughs> um, whereas I feel like a lot of students come into high school with like, oh, I'm going to do this extracurricular, I'm going to do this thing, right. and I'm going to take this SAT prep course to yes. try to make sure that I get XYZ for applying yes. to college. Um, yeah. And you did I, I none of that. No. And I remember taking a bunch of AP classes, but I'm not knowing like what the AP stood for. <laughs> I just knew that it was like, I knew that it was an extra challenge uh-huh. and I knew that freshman year, like all my classes were so easy um, compared to like my middle school that like felt a little bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, well, if you want a more challenge, take honors. And if you want more challenge, take AP. And so like, that's how it went. But I just, I remember not knowing what like AP stood for. I just yeah. knew it was harder. <laughs> Um, so on the one hand, it feels like the system kind of worked perfectly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, if we're saying that education is a merit-based system, mm-hmm. um, you were really bright all the way through mm-hmm. and you just kind of figured stuff out and it all worked out and, um, you did awesome. <laughs> on the other hand, like there were so many places where you mm-hmm. had no idea what was going on yes. <laughs> and you just kind of like lucked into stuff because mm-hmm. a friend said, Hey, come to this thing with me. Yes. <laughs> um, and it wasn't just like one thing. It was like mm-hmm. over and over and over again, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where, you know, it seems like you got into a middle school where you could take algebra early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you took some classes because a friend was taking them or because mm-hmm. it just yep. kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. there was really no like plan throughout it. No, yes. <laughs> um, which, which is kind of an interesting component of, mm-hmm. like, as I think about the seed and soil piece, mm-hmm. you're the case study right. that everybody mm-hmm. wants to hang their hat on. <laughs> like, the system works because mm-hmm. Rosa did it. Right, right. <laughs> um, like, she was an English learner mm-hmm. uh, coming from a relatively low-income family, and mm-hmm. boom, it worked. Nailed right. it. Right. <laughs> the, the tricky piece mm-hmm. um, is that it doesn't always work. Right. 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 And, and we yes. have this idea of like, well, as long as I can get like one model case study, right. Like a model minority that I can mm-hmm. say like, look, it's, it's a merit-based system. It's perfect. Right. right. And we just kind of ignore all the other um, mm-hmm. social components of it right. where it's not merit-based, where yes. it's privilege-based or yes. um, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's tricky because you know, we, we always have at least one of those kids. Yes. Right. We can get one or two kids who it's like the seed there is mm-hmm. so strong great. Yeah. that you're gonna thrive regardless. Yes. And sorry, I just like, I just had a thought. Um, I love the seed and soil analogy. I think that um, it applies in a lot of ways. It extends in a lot of ways. Um, I told you I was growing corn and zucchini. Yeah. I also tried tomato and strawberry. Okay. Um, and the same planters um, all get similar sunlight, but those just did not, would not, no matter what I did to them, they're like, I have gotten no tomato and no strawberries, even though they told me those are pretty easy to grow. Yeah. I try to like go for the easy ones. Um, I'm only getting corn and zucchini. So I think it just goes to show not all seeds are the same <laughs> uh-huh. and not all, I guess with the whole cancer thing too, like not everything, um, not all environments are fruitful for each other. I guess if 
that makes sense what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then you've got like the, the same counterpoint of like mm. your cousins. Mm, yes. Um, <laughs> who are bright people. Yes. Um, but, and had the same soil, mm -hmm. but were just different. Yes. Like personality wise, maybe mm -hmm. just slightly different from you. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so it was a more of a struggle to mm -hmm. pick English back up. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and so I think there's that kind of interesting balance of like, how much is nature and how much is nurture? And then mm -hmm. what do we do as a school system to match the seed to the soil? Right. Um, or better, we're not going to change the seed, right? right. Kid, yeah. Kids are yeah. coming in as who they are. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I would almost extend this analogy to like the seed is um, who the kid is and mm -hmm. stuff that the teacher can't control or the school system can't control. Oh, okay. okay. So like their entire home environment right. is seed. Yes. Yeah. Um, like mm -hmm. as, as you're parenting, you could mm -hmm. talk about nature versus nurture. Nature right. is just the genetics. Who, right, you know, right. I've got three kids. Um, mm -hmm. Their nurture is mm -hmm. almost exactly the same. Right. Um, my wife and I are the parents of both of them. Yeah. yeah. The only <laughs> different nurture-wise would be which two of the other kids they have as siblings. Right, right. And right. birth order. Right, right. Um, you know, one of them has to be the third kid, and one of them has to be the second kid, and one of them has to be the first kid. So right, right. Um, they all have, you know, that, that dynamic is slightly different in terms of right. siblings. But nurture-wise, it's the same. Right, right. Nature-wise, they have mm -hmm. some things where they're really similar to each other. Mm -hmm. And they have other things where they're wildly different kids. Right. Right. Um, like my firstborn daughter and my secondborn son are just mm -hmm. different kids. Yes. <laughs> they have different passions. They're interested in different things. Right. I don't think that's because of the nurture part. Right. Um, right. I think they just have different interests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And different ways of seeing the world in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, right. But for, for this purpose, I would say like the seed part mm -hmm. would be home environment would mm -hmm. be who they are as people, right. um, you know, genetics, personality, right. learning style, what have you. Right, right. Um, and the reason that I would do it that way is because as a teacher, as a school system, mm -hmm. the only thing we can control is soil. Right, right. Um, we're, you know, trying to assume that you're going to make your tomato seeds more yes. like corn seeds. Right. Uh, yes. You're not going to have good yeah. success. Yes. Um, what you can do is you can change the amount of water you put on them. You can change mm -hmm. the nutrients that are in the soil. You can change mm -hmm. the amount of sunlight, whether they're in a shady spot or a sunny right. spot or whatever. Right. Um, you know, you could take them over to my house and plant right. the tomatoes right. at my house because my tomatoes yeah. are growing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I can't get corn yeah. to go, but my tomatoes are growing. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> um, strawberries won't. I, yeah. 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 Strawberries don't go for Hard. me, but um, but like we can try to better adjust the soil mm -hmm. to match the kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think where, you know, we get into some kind of interesting components. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. for 11 years I taught as part of the AVID program. Mm. Um, right. AVID is a Long advancement time. via individual determination. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I took, uh, the way that one works is I started with a group of kids, um, like a cohort of 30 students mm -hmm. and I started with them as freshmen 
and then uh, stayed with them one period, one class period per day until they graduate as seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ran through three of those, those cohorts. Right. Um, one of them overlapped by a year, so 11 years total. Um, and part of the AVID piece mm-hmm. is trying to both inform the kid about mm-hmm. the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. we did some stuff about like, all right, here's, you know, we didn't do hot lunch, cold lunch, right. but that would be the kind of thing that yes. we would talk about in class. <laughs> right, right. Um, or at the high school level, what we did do a lot of is like, okay, here's what the SAT is. Mm-hmm. Here's how it's structured. Here's mm-hmm. why we're taking the PSAT. Right. Um, and here's how we can help prepare for it a little bit. Right. Um, when you're looking at colleges, here's what CSU mm-hmm. means. Here's what UC right. means. Here's what mm-hmm. an AP class is. Here's why you should take an AP class. Right. Um, right. And going through like all the various components. Mm-hmm. And then it provided a little bit of academic support as well. Right. Right. Um, so kind of helping kids who were somewhere in the middle right. um, reach all of their academic potential. Right. So that if they wanted to go to college, college was there as an option for them. Mm-hmm. And um, AVID would have been great for me. <laughs> yes, you would, be a, you would have been a perfect yes. AVID yes. candidate. Um, <laughs> like absolutely should be going to college and just mm-hmm. didn't know the logistics of how to get there. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, and so one of the ways like AVID is they're basically A, informing mm-hmm. the kids about the soil, about the system. Right. Like mm-hmm. here's parts of the system that don't seem to be changing in the next year or two. Right. Um, you know, we're not going to throw away the SATs, although this year they did. Um, yeah. This year <laughs> the, UC, the UCs stopped looking at the SATs or they made it optional. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, for Because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the right. ability of kids to actually take the test. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so like informing them. And then also... Mm-hmm. AVID helps kind of work on the system itself. Mm. So the other component of AVID, which um, is more behind the scenes, but there's a whole bunch of teaching strategies that are more effective um, for all students, but especially AVID type students. Right. Um, So different ways of focusing on writing strategies, different ways of Mm. focusing on reading strategies, different ways of graphic organizing things, Mm -hmm. Um, basically culturally responsive teaching practices that then hopefully get integrated throughout different content areas throughout the school. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a tutorial process where kids kind of like work through problems together um, to work on their other academic stuff. So Abbott is trying to kind of do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, they're helping inform the kids about the system and they're also trying to modify some of the system to make it more accessible to bright kids who should be uh, pursuing higher education. Right, right. Um, I think the tricky part is like, we can recognize that Mm -hmm. there is institutional bias, that there is Mm -hmm. institutional racism in a system. And then the question is, okay, how do we change it? (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) and again, that, that gets huge. Yes. (laughs) Right. Like there's, uh, the way that the U S is set up with like some really small school districts, Mm -hmm. um, you moving what a few miles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you were, when you were a kid, uh-huh. yeah. uh, shifted you from one neighborhood to another neighborhood, mm-hmm. one school district to another school district. Yes. And that totally changed, um, mm-hmm. like the group of kids you were around and the type mm-hmm. of school that you were in. Yes. Um, yes. that's an institutional piece that as an individual teacher, I'm not sure that we can totally control. Right. Um, right. it yeah. is something that we should probably really look at as a mm-hmm. whole society. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, because you probably shouldn't have that disparate of uh, mm-hmm. an outcome. Right. Based on zip code. Right. Right. Um, yes. Both outcome Ooh. and process, right? That different of right. a process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess I never looked at it um, in that sense, but I think looking back, it, it was a huge, like, it was a huge change in just like the faces I was seeing and mm-hmm. the people I was interacting with, um, even at grocery stores and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. It was a lot different. The interaction uh-huh. was a lot different. Um, and I would imagine more, I guess, to get to like the Mexican um, grocery stores. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you had kind of the benefit of, of getting a little bit of both of those. Yes. Right. <laughs> like you still went to the Mexican grocery store. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then you had a neighborhood grocery store mm-hmm. that, um, you know, yeah, you were not in a food desert. No. Yeah. It, it was our first time um, going to like a gourmet uh, food or supermarket, I guess, uh-huh. um, where they had like different kinds of cheeses. And uh, my mom, <laughs> I just remember my mom being like, whoa, like this is so many different types of cheese. And we were just at awe at like how many like types, different types of like berries there were that we didn't know about, like we'd uh-huh. never seen. <laughs> um, yeah, like kumquat, we didn't know about. I mean, kumquats there's are a lot, weird like, fruit though. Yeah, oh yeah. Th- that's, yeah that's, that's a bizarre one. Yes, there's some, there's some stuff that we were just like, we've never seen this before. Um, yeah, so we were, it was, it was a great time. We were mm-hmm. lucky. Um, that we got to move to that area, but it was like a very bizarre, like, whoa, we don't, <laughs> don't know anything about this like new area. But yeah. And I think that's kind of where education gets really tricky, right? When we talk mm-hmm. about changing the system of education, yes. um, yeah. we live in a semi-segregated society. Right. Um, like our neighborhoods are naturally mm-hmm. segregated right. um, by income level, by ethnicity. I shouldn't say naturally segregated, right? They're right, segregated yeah. <laughs> based on a history of redlining yes. and yes. other social practices that right. ensure that they are mm-hmm. segregated. Mm-hmm. And then they continue to be segregated because right. uh, we either haven't modified those practices or yeah. they're just baked into where people are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and education as a social system right. is also going to be part of that. Yes. Right. It's yes. it makes a lot of sense to send mm-hmm. kids to a school near their neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that way it's easier to get kids to school, and mm-hmm. um, there's something really nice about having your kids walk to your local school. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we're exacerbating the the same problems mm-hmm. uh, of kind of inequity and lack of diversity in different schools. Right. Right. Um, and I feel like even if you tried, it, it was hard to go to a different school district that wasn't in your area. Mm. Um, yeah. So we, I think, um, I think at least for, for a few um, students that I, I knew, um, it was like, we tried to go back to the old school that we were at, but then we like d- didn't have an address that matched their district lines yep. or whatever. So <laughs> Uh, and a lot of that gets into funding. Where you, where you live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that, that gets really tricky because some of it's linked mm-hmm. to funding formulas as well. I see. Okay. Uh, and generally, the yeah. smaller, wealthier districts mm-hmm. are funded mm-hmm. at higher and constant rates. 
Mm-hmm. And so they don't have any benefit of taking in additional students. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, for example, I grew up in Oakland. Uh-huh. Um, there oh, is okay. a little island inside of Oakland. It is surrounded mm-hmm. on all sides um, by mm-hmm. Oakland, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a separate town called Piedmont. Oh, um, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Piedmont is really, really wealthy. Right. Um, yeah. And they're a basic aid district, which means mm-hmm. that um, the amount of money coming in to fund their schools is a flat mm-hmm. rate based on their property taxes. Um, okay. Not surprisingly, it's a really high uh, flat rate. Okay. Um, and right. because it's really wealthy, mm-hmm. there are not a whole lot of kids. Right. Um, there are a lot of people who move into Piedmont for the school system right. uh, because oh, okay. it's really, really well funded. Right. Um, but if I was, you know, I as a kid in Oakland, mm-hmm. they would not take me into a Piedmont school mm-hmm. um, okay. because that would be adding a student with no additional funding. I see. Okay. Um, and so there's this balance of like the basic, the way that we're funding a lot of the mm-hmm. schools through this mm-hmm. basic aid system mm-hmm. kind of encourages the wealthiest districts to not allow kids to transfer. Uh, okay. Um, and then the, the districts that are funded at a per pupil rate, which is mm. lower, mm-hmm. um, they are incentivized to take in kids who want to transfer. Gotcha. So we teach in Novato. Uh, uh-huh. Novato is funded per pupil. Um, okay. And so we're usually more than happy to accept transfer students. Gotcha. Oh. Um, so we'll have students who live in Vallejo and mm. come to school in Novato because their parents work in Novato. Oh, okay. I see. Um, and that's positive for Novato because yeah. they bring, uh, you know, $10,000 worth of funding right. for the year with them. Okay. Okay. It's because the state pays per kid. I see. It's funny because I I know several <laughs> I know several students who are um, not from Novato, and oh, when whenever they disclose this to me, they're like, Shh. like <laughs> we like we I, I feel like they view it as like we're cheating the system, and if they find out, we're gonna get kicked out of Novato. But no. it's cool to like hear the other side, like no. <laughs> Nevada no, wants would, you here. <laughs> I would say Nevada, Nevada yeah, wants Nevada you because wants you here. <laughs> uh, we're the only district in Marin that is paid per pupil. Okay. Um, all, all right. of the Southern Marin ones, uh-huh. because of really high property tax bases, right. um, are on basic aid. Yeah, that's and, funny. And I, they probably would not accept a transfer. Right. Oh, I wonder why then my, my students have that notion that, because I, I have several, or I had several, like two or three that were like, yeah, we're from Petaluma or Vallejo and <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, hmm. and, and I mean, I think probably they have mm-hmm. that misconception because many districts, right. it wouldn't be a positive thing. Right. Right. Um, especially many of our districts around mm-hmm. here. Right. Okay. Um, because Marin and Sonoma counties, especially right. yeah. we have, I don't know, like 23 different school mm-hmm. districts just mm-hmm. in Marin County. Right. Uh, there are some school districts that are like a single mm-hmm. school big um there you know there's lots of small towns that have their right. own school district and same right. deal in sonoma county oh yeah yeah, yeah. um you know there's 20 odd, 20 yeah, odd school yeah. districts just within one county right i want to say petaluma right. has like three or four elementary mm-hmm. school districts um which seems wild it's one town yeah, awesome. but they're broken up into a whole bunch of different districts right okay oh. i'm learning so much thank you yeah <laughs> I guess the, the next question then, mm-hmm. there, there is a kind of like system-wide component, right? but then there's also the component of the system that teachers can influence. Mm-hmm. 
To give a few examples of uh, things that teachers do have control of in their classrooms that are examples of systemic racism, uh, one really well-known component is that uh, students who are African-American have a way higher rate of suspension than white students. Um, students who are Latino also have a much higher rate of suspension, uh, but African-American students are, depending on the district, depending on the location, around two times more likely to be suspended uh, than white students. So what could a teacher do about that? Step one, don't send black kids down to the front office to get suspended. Um, all students are going to misbehave. All students are going to, well, are going to have ver varieties of misbehaviors um, and um, behavioral challenges. So when you have those uh, situations, think three times before sending a black kid down to the front office. Since you know African-American students are disproportionately suspended, step one is try to put them in a situation to get suspended less often. So that means look at ways that you could find some kind of alternative to suspension within your classroom. Um, maybe it is restoring the problem. Um, I had a situation in my classroom last year where a student um, poured hot glue on the back of another student's neck. Uh, I don't think that she really thought about it. It was one of her friends, but he was leaning over and she had hot glue and she was like, oh, I don't know, let's try it. And um, immediately after doing it was like, oh no. And it left a real big welt. Um, so I could have sent her down to the front office. Um, and it probably could have warranted a one-day suspension, and that would be another African-American student getting suspended for, you know, a silly mistake. Um, but instead, we talked, me and her and her friend, and uh, talked through, like, okay, what happened? Why did that happen? How do we make it right again? And um, we contacted both of their sets of parents. Um, she figured out a way to make it right to her friend. Um, I think wrote an apology letter and, uh, you know, wrote me a, a thing. Um, and at the end, I think she learned a ton from it. Uh, her friend, you know, was not going to be benefited by having her get suspended. So uh, it was resolved in a more positive way. So whenever possible, don't send Latina Latinx students, don't send African-American students down to the front office to get suspended. Uh, another example of a systemic racist, uh, systemic racism component that teachers could have um, influence over is pass rates in classes. Um, so African American and Latino students are more likely to not pass uh, class, and as a result, they are less likely to be college eligible. And again, the percentages uh, vary depending on district and location and state. Um, but it's a statistically significant difference. Uh, and largely, well, not largely, that's a, a variety of factors. One of the big ones is how we structure our lessons and how we structure our assessments. So if we structure our assessments so that they are really heavily individually language-based, then that's going to benefit a certain set of students, and it's going to disbenefit uh, disbenefit? Ugh, I'm going to go with that. Speaking of uh, disbenefiting people with language, hi. Um, so it's going to disadvantage. It's going to disadvantage uh, other sets of students. So find ways of assessing students in ways that they can show their strengths. Um, we know in a workplace, different people bring different strengths to the table. 
And if you're going to make your organization really successful, you want to find a way for each of those people to bring their strengths to the table to make a stronger team. Um, we could do the same for students. If we know that students are going to uh, demonstrate their strengths better by working in groups, then give them that opportunity uh, or mandate that opportunity. If we know that students express themselves uh, with different ways of discourse, then let's look for those ways of discourse and try to tease out what is the content that they're really expressing there. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that we can modify how we're teaching to maximize students' interest in the material and then students' uh, ability to demonstrate their ability there. Um, speaking of interest in the material, ensuring that our curriculum is representative of, uh, their, of students' cultures. Um, I teach science, we both teach science, and um, a lot of the science that is in textbooks is from old dead white dudes uh, because that's who was doing science 100 years ago. Um, they weren't dead when they were doing it, that's, that's recent. Um, but currently, scientists are much more diverse. So looking at current scientific discoveries, which are still using all the same principles and probably more relevant for students' current lives, would suddenly give a whole bunch of scientific perspective that is not guys like Sir Isaac Newton, who was lovely, um, but also you know lived a couple hundred years ago. Um, so kind of bringing a greater diversity of experience into the classroom. Uh, obviously in history, teaching history um, not from a Eurocentric perspective uh, would be outstanding. Um, in English, ensuring that you're reading diverse authors and diverse perspectives regardless, um, not just as a, we're gonna do our one diverse author unit, um, but building it in throughout the curriculum. Um, so there's a lot of ways there to kind of ensure that students are uh, giving opportunities to really pass at a higher level. Uh, and then the final one is not a systemic racism, it's more of an individual racism piece, but uh, students are going to say mean things to other students. Some of the things that they say to each other are going to be racist because we come from a society where racism is prevalent and some of it will be as a joke, um, some of it quote unquote joke, some of it will be um, genuinely, intentionally intended to hurt, uh, but students will say things that are inappropriate. And as a teacher, you have to intervene every single time. Uh, and that's tough because it can be difficult to know what's the relationship there. These kids seem like they're friends. Is that a just messing around kind of thing? Um, but it doesn't really matter. The point is you have to ensure that you are addressing racism every time it occurs in the classroom uh, so that students know it's unacceptable behavior and that you don't tolerate it. Um, so those are a few different pieces. So with all of that, Rosa, what can we do within our classes mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. what can we do within our school system to make it uh, you know, a better soil for kids who traditionally struggle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is, I think one of the things that makes teaching for me at least a lot of fun um, is that we get to be creative in that arena, in the, in the fact that 
um, our classroom is, I guess, an area where we can cultivate that relationship with um, our students and, um, I don't know, increase the connection that we have with them and hopefully, like, I don't know, make learning fun for them or engaging for them. Um, I mean, I, I think that's a, a key piece, right? Is that like step one, there has to be connection. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, like a lot of the same types of people get into mm -hmm. teaching. Uh, right. And mm -hmm. so a lot of teachers tend to connect with the same mm -hmm. kids. Right. Uh, generally like academically motivated, like oh. teachers tend to like school. Right, um, right. There's a reason yes. that teachers chose to spend most of their life in school. Yes. Um, yes. So teachers tend to like school, and as a result, the like traditional school kid mm -hmm. uh, tends to do really well. Yes. Right. That's right. the experience that I had. Yes. Um, it's probably a similar experience that you had. Yes. Um, we just really like learning stuff for the sake of learning uh -huh. stuff. Yeah. Like you got really good grades without right. really any purpose to those grades. Right. You didn't, didn't have an end goal in mind mm -hmm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't need them for an exterior purpose. Just right. you liked learning stuff. Right. So you right. did the best work that you possibly could. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I also had like, um, my parents were very like, you need to get good grades. But not not in that sense, I guess. Um, so I guess my grades weren't motivated for college. They were motivated for like, a, I want to like, I want to live in harmony at my home. <laughs> <laughs> um, having good grades will keep them happy. And I, I really did enjoy school um, as a big nerd. Right. I think I still kind of am, but. Um, yeah, there, you're right. I think there the were students... there were some external rewards. Yes, they were yeah, external yeah. in terms of family positivity. Yes, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't uh, trying to get me into any college or whatever. It was just trying to <laughs> um, keep keep peace at home. <laughs> um, but I guess in all seriousness, uh, I do see that in my classroom, in my own classroom. Um, the students that do the best are the students that were kind of like me in high school. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I feel like in high school, I didn't have a huge connection with any, I, I lie. I had a connection with like two or three of my um, teachers, but for the most part, like I just liked the subject and no matter who the teacher was, I was going to do okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of my students that do well um, isn't necessarily because of me. Um, I think the ones that I am reaching are, or I'd like to think at least, the ones that I am reaching are the ones that either are like me or somehow like connect with me more. Um, and maybe they're not excelling, but they're not failing. Mm -hmm if that makes sense. I mean, I don't want to take credit for any of that, but. Well, you should. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're really, really good at teaching. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're a really bright person. Um, mm -hmm. And I think school came really easy to you, but um, the nice piece about your teaching is that you also relate really well to kids mm -hmm. who aren't you. Right. <laughs> um, kids for whom school is not like mm -hmm. their pride and joy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you bring really good work out of them. 
um, and they really connect to you. Yes. Um, I've talked to a lot of kids on campus who are like, oh yeah, no, I love Miss Herrera. Like she's really nice. Um, and she totally gets me and she, uh, like wants me to do really well. Um, so like they know that you have their best interests at heart. Thank you. Um, and I think that's, that's a key first step, right? Is that you have to have a connection with the kids. Yes. Um, yeah. and then we can start looking at, all right, now that you've got that connection, how do we keep them engaged? Mm-hmm. Um, how do yes. we ensure that the work that they're doing is valuable for them? Yes. Um, um, yeah. So I was, I was seeing a lot of that in my classroom in the, in the fact that they, like, I could see that they liked interacting with me and they liked like talking with me, I guess. Um, and even like during lunch, they'd like hanging out in my classroom, but then some students just did not want to do the classwork, um, or were just not motivated, even though like we had a connection and I, I felt like I knew enough about them where like we could joke around and I could like I knew what was going on in their lives, whether they were working or had siblings or um, people to take care of at home. Um, so I guess the biggest thing for me is how to make it not just about the connection, but also like the connection and like, why am I here? Like, why do we care about doing some work? Um, and so I think that was my biggest thing that I was trying to work on was getting my F students to just turn in one thing. Yep. Just just because we want you to pass and we want you to do well. And I think that's something that I was always trying to like push to them was I'm here because I don't want you to fail. Like, I don't want you to have to repeat this class again. Um, and I think they saw that or at least a lot of them saw that. Um, hopefully at least. Yeah. And I think that kind of takes us, um, to our next point, which we are going to, uh, get to next week. Um, next week, uh, we'll be continuing this discussion and actually putting into specific practices in -hmm. terms of what worked in remote instruction, because, um, the stuff that worked in remote instruction Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the challenges, well, there've been a lot of challenges with, uh, <laughs> uh <this> yes, <laughs> pandemic that is striking the world and uh-huh. <laughs> killing so far 130,000 Americans, oh, as well God. as countless other international. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the challenges on the very small local education piece, mm-hmm. uh, is that generally the students who are most at risk Mm-hmm. have been the least engaged in those three right. months of remote instruction. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because of all kinds of structural issues uh, and just when you're not physically in a place, it's really tough to mm-hmm. keep grinding on school. Right. Um, so next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about lessons from remote instruction, okay. Um, okay. what really worked, how mm-hmm. do we get our at-risk students engaged, how do we keep them okay. engaged, mm-hmm. and um, you know, how do we look forward as we either continue some remote instruction or what elements from remote instruction do we want to bring into our classrooms when we get the opportunity to be back in there? Okay. Awesome. With that, Rosa Herrera, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was very, very fun. <laughs> Indeed. And part two next week. All righty. Thanks, Nick. Thank you.